The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Jackie Fernandez. This is Rev. Jackie, and I am not live from the Tower at Unity Village. I am live from my home where I am quarantined for a little bit here. But I am super thrilled that we have technology that allows us to tune in to Unity Online Radio and here today on Voices of Unity from anywhere, and especially because that's true for all of my guests. And today I have the one and only Rev. Kelly Isola. <laughs> I love you. You laugh. <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> Yeah, one is sufficient. <laughs> one is sufficient. Um, <laughs> Kelly, Kelly, of course, needs no introduction to the Unity community. But for anyone who isn't, you know, is new to Unity or, or just listens to the show and Unity online radio shows in general, you you might want a little introduction. So Kelly, Reverend Kelly Isla, is a one of a kind force of nature, a genius with words. You know, also known as walking encyclopedia. A brilliant thinker and a professional excavator of individual and collective souls. That sounds a little terrifying, but yeah. we are we are safe in your hands, Kelly. I know that. Yeah. Kelly also masquerades as a consultant, teacher, author, and transformative mentor. And you know, I'm getting this right off your website, and I love this. Yeah. Um, I, I really this is this is a really nice bio. And you know, Kelly is really passionate about supporting people and organizations to live and love more authentically. And that really is just at the core of everything you do, Kelly. I know that I see it. Yeah, I the other the other term I use for myself is innovation alchemist. Yes, innovation alchemist. So true. You know, like when you hear those words innovation alchemist, I don't maybe know exactly what it means, but I know you. And so I immediately know the definition. Yeah. And so that is absolutely something that you live and practice. And of course, you are known in the Kansas City area as the chair of the Greater Kansas City Interfaith Council, which is important work. How long have you been the chair? Um, four years. Yeah. That's so like my, it's, it's going my on. My time as chair will be coming to an end, but just, okay. just the label. <laughs> uh, yeah. You'll still be involved, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, so what are you up to right now? What's what's hot on your schedule these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, several things. I mean, since um, you know, since we shut down several months ago, um, had to, you know, as a self-employed person who in ninety minutes loses their entire you know income for the year, and having to just okay, now what? You know, and and who? And it really. Um, you know, is okay. So what's that's the innovation alchemist. So what do you do? You know, who you know, there's not a paycheck coming. So what is mine to do? Which is the question, the perennial question for whatever's going on in the world is what is mine to do? What's you know, what's my lane for me to stay in? And so I just that's where I went and just you know, offering being who I be in the world. I've if I've learned nothing else in this pandemic. What I've really learned is I was made for times like these. Yeah. Um, part of my so there's lots of different ways that I'm I'm a minister, but I'm not in a church. I'm 
sort of <laughs> jokingly say I'm like omnipresent. Um, but uh, and then, you know, everything's online. But part of my ministry is disaster work, I, interfaith disaster. So I, I lead the Missouri Interfaith Disaster Response Organization and a pandemic is a disaster. So I'm, you know, on the kind of not that I can ever take my unity hat off, but I, I show up as for spiritual care in times of disaster. So being on calls and, you know, supporting webinars to support um, uh, spiritual and faith leaders and how to lead their whatever their faith tradition um, and how to, you know, be with their communities and certainly developing, you know, interfaith and cultural competency in disaster work. Not every not every first responder necessarily knows how to show up, you know, when there's in a Muslim community or a Hindu community. And but just really um it, the pandemic pushes, absolutely pushes the boundaries of uh, showing up in as compassionate. Mm, yeah, Whew. that's beautiful. That's a, a lot. Way. It you is a lot going on. So, you know, things sort of shut down for you, but then you just were called to show up in a different, you know, for these times. And, and yeah. yeah, you were absolutely designed for these times. And thank God. Thank the goddess. Yes. The one power and presence <laughs> in the universe for it. And, yes. you know, we are in Pride Month, you know, June yes. is Pride Month. And it's been really interesting for me to program the show because typically, of course, I like to celebrate Pride on the show. That's actually how I started last year with Ellen Devonport, um, who was the host of the show at the time. And she asked me to co-host Pride Month with her. And then you know, I say it was a con job because we got done. And she was like, so how would you like to take <laughs> over the show? <laughs> Sucker. I think she knew the whole yeah. time, and I walked right through it, right? But yeah. it's been a great blessing to to host this show. It's amazing. I get to have awesome conversations with people like you, and um, and this year is, you know, now for something completely different. <laughs> We've got right. protests, yeah. you know, unprecedented protests globally happening right now. We're still dealing with this pandemic, and. You know, as I kind of was chatting with you before the show, I, you know, we titled the show today, Pride, Power, and Privilege. And I just think it's, we are ripe to have a very expanded conversation about, you know, the reasons we have Black History Month, Women's History Month, you know, uh, Pride Month, Hispanic Heritage Month. And, and it's, it is time for allies to to step even more into the conversation and to utilize power and privilege in a way that that works for good and and I am seeing it like never before and it gives me so much hope yeah yeah and we don't need allies don't need a um a month or right. a day every day of every moment is you know it's <laughs> We don't refer to white, you know, it's not a race, it's the sea we swim in. So we don't need, you know, as a white anti-racist, I don't need us to have our own month or day. I need us to get into our lane and, and do something. Yeah, I love that. So let's let's turn to our master teacher, Jesus, because when I asked you to be on the show today... <laughs> We're like, well, I mean, we could talk about Jesus and and his, you know, use of privilege to, you know, uh, you know, buck up against. That's not the words that you used, but um, yeah. to to engage conversation and and turn, you know, overturn the the wisdom of his day, and you know, and to be clear, I always love to remind people Jesus was not a white man, right. 
So when we talk about privilege, we're not and Jesus, we're not we're not talking about white privilege. Nope. And you know, I, I it's just always so important to really to really bring that into the conversation. And, and people, yeah, 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 I know that, but really, really know that. And we have to contextualize Jesus. So, so talk yeah. to me about that. Right. So when I said, you know, when I make the statement about using his privilege, uh, of course, I'm not talking about his whiteness. I'm, but I'm just referring to what are the the, um, you know, in in the case of Jesus, he's you know growing up in you know it's first century Palestine. It's Jewish. He's everyone around him is Jewish. So you know what within my you know, it's like asking a fish to point to the water. Right. So what within Jesus's world as Jewish and everything around him is Jewish, using your Jewishness to, to you know, to upset conventional wisdom. So for, you know, I translate that to me in using my whiteness, you know, my privilege to, to upset conventional wisdom of the day, um, which didn't mean that he was anti-Jewish. Um, but he was using, um, you know, we we hear the term, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he was completely opposed to the letter of the law and asking for ex- expansion of, um, you know, moving beyond the boundaries. Um, he and that's why he taught with parables. He um, I uh, it's how I've actually come to uh, to. You know, when make you know, I hear people make the joke, yeah, Jesus is my man. And you know, it's kind of how I've I arrived at that, that 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 Jesus is. It's not just a term that I use or how we talk about Jesus and unity as being, you know, a way shower and a master teacher. Um uh, but but really you know, being my guy, um, meaning that taking having spent some years taking a deep dive into just the parables, never mind. Like I'm not even going into healings or miracles because let let me get good at the parables and what that message was before right. I move into other things because I don't think we even get that right. But um, taking a deep dive into it and just seeing what is really going on and and how I'm really being challenged. Um, and he does that um, with parables. And the the sort of the what I've discovered over the years is that if you read a parable and you think you got it, you didn't get it. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Because um, there's a there's a you have to dig deep right. um, into it and put it in the context in which it was written. It's why I I believe that you know when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and he uses you know the kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of heaven is like that and he uses everyday objects is that's using the he's he's using the world the the water that he's swimming in right you know so something like the parable of the good samaritan if you think about who's listening to him he's he's talking to israelites so they would expect him to when he's telling the tale of the Good Samaritan, and he says, you know, there's this guy in the ditch, and there's a um, uh, a uh, Pharisee comes along, a priest comes along, and then there's a Levite that comes along, um, and and if you're a if you're in Jesus' presence, you put on your two thousand year old Hebrew eyes, and you're listening to this story, you would expect Jesus to to then say, right, the the Pharisee comes along, then there's a Levite that comes along, and knowing there's a third person that's going to come along because he's kind of set up the story 
as an Israelite listening to to Jesus and being Jewish, I would expect him to to name the next person as somebody that as a an Israelite I can relate to. Right. But he doesn't. It's a Samaritan that comes along. It's someone that is absolutely unthinkable. So it's be like saying going from, yeah, Larry comes down the road, then Mo comes down the road, then Osama bin Laden comes down the road. Right. right. That's the the thing. That's why I you know, I say, well, if you read it and think you got it, you didn't get it. You didn't get and it. it doesn't even, even the term good Samaritan doesn't even make any sense. That's like saying, um, you know, the good Muslim or the good mm-hmm. Catholic or the right. good, it's just, you know, it's, it's the well, same. It shows it, 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 you know, I mean, he did, Jesus didn't, it's, well, at least it's not recorded that he said, now let me tell you the story the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, he didn't name it that. That was named after no. the fact, right, when it was written yeah. by a writer. And so it, that in and in of itself uh, demonstrates a lot, right? That tells well, us yeah, a lot. It's handed, as it's handed down through the centuries through Christianity, it's the, it's been interpreted as, you know, taking care of the, you know, the, the marginalized. Right. Um, it's not an untrue thing, but that's not quite where he was going. Um and he um, he's um, he's pushing the boundaries of how you think about. That's why that sort of, you know, uh, how you think about those that you don't, you know, who's not my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's my neighbor. And how do I, you know, I'm expect like that's a, a, a quote unquote privilege kind of story where there's a the priest and then the Levite who's a, another kind of priest. And then the Samaritan is. Why? One once I discover that would have jarred. If I was listening two thousand years ago, it would have jarred my mind to be like, "What? A Samaritan?" So a Samaritan is someone at the time of Jesus that that was hated, was hated. That's why it's the Larry Moe and Osama bin Laden, or Larry Moe and Hitler. You know, it's this someone that we just hold is just as far as we're convinced is just an evil person and out to do totally you know, wrong. And how do I make that person? Um, so Jesus is inviting us, you know, into uh, how do I take the person, stop dehumanizing? Um, and without, um, I think this is where we get tripped up a lot is how do I dehumanize the person, but not say it's okay what they do. Right. You know, it's the the beauty of parables, right? And and with any storytelling uh, format and convention for teaching is that it grows with you. Yes. So if you read it and you just take it at face value and, and that's what you get, you like you said, you're not really getting that deeper meaning, but it is still enlightening, you know, to a point. But as you grow spiritually and as you get deeper into them, it there is still you know, there's always something in it for us. And I think especially because we change and grow and our, you know, paradigm and, you know, consciousness expands and hopefully and changes and grows. And and then we meet it again and we still are given an opportunity to do exactly what you just said is, you know, you know, identify the neighbor. And and then the, the follow-up question is to that to that is how am I dehumanizing people? Right. Uh, and, and not even intentionally. And right. not even consciously. Right. And that's the that's the I think where what the challenge is, is that, um, you know, when Jesus so like the Good Samaritan parable, Jesus is um, 
you know, we, he's, for me, he's setting up this paradigm and telling the story. And as the listener, remember 2000 years ago, I'm listening to this story and um, it's very easy for me to make out who my enemies are Mm -hmm. and that, and to draw lines. And these people are good people. These people are enemies and enemies don't do nice things, you know, and then it totally, totally rattles my brain. And so pulling it forward 2000 years, what does that mean in my world, in my life to take that teaching from Jesus of um, are, you know, it's like he's asking me, are you, who are you making your enemy? And, um, and why? And, and it's, and that's where kind of like unconscious bias comes in. It's not, I'm not necessarily consciously making a, a person of color my enemy, but but the moment that I notice where my privilege is at work, where I don't, um, I don't, you know, that I have unmerited things in my life that have made it a little easier simply because I'm white. When I notice that, then I, what I'm also then at the same time noticing is how I have made a black person or a person of color into that. I mean, enemy is a strong, harsh word, but I've made them the other. Um, which is what Jesus, yeah, I've made them the other. So it's, and it, and it can be, and it, you know, so how do I not do that? And so now, now it's, that's upset my, my unconscious conventional wisdom. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I think it's important too, that it upsets your unconscious conventional wisdom and, and it can often upset the heart. You know, it upsets my heart yeah. when, I, when I realize that. And so that can often make it, then I, I might get distracted by guilt and shame. Absolutely. You know, I might get distracted by, you know, feeling sorry and, you know, I, instead of staying focused on, okay, and now what can I, where can I go from here? Now that I have realized this, yeah. what steps yep. can I take going forward? We don't have to sit in shame and guilt. Um, no. It, it is helpful and healing to engage um, a, a apology, reparation, but that doesn't have to look, you know, you don't have to then go to every person of color and I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so there's, I think there's like, like the emotional um, fallout, yeah. I'll say, from this kind of growth is really important uh, to to make a plan for and to hold space for without becoming so, you know, distracted by it that we don't move forward in a productive way. Well, and at the, it's interesting because at the end of that parable, uh, what he says to the, because it's this lawyer that starts the whole conversation, you know, um, how do you get into the kingdom of heaven? And then at the very end of the parable, you know, he asks him, so which of these, of these three, um, you know, do you think was your neighbor? Um, and, um, and so at the, at the, and the lawyer is like, okay, the one that had mercy, you know, showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So Mm -hmm. there isn't even space to feel great. You got it. There's no space Mm -hmm. for feeling guilty. Go and do that. Mm -hmm. Get up off your affirmations and go. Mm -hmm. And go do it. Yes. Go expand growth. Take your, take your enlightenment and your newfound wisdom and, and, and go and, and engage that. I love it. I love it. Um, You, can we talk a little bit about the class that you and Ogan are doing? Yes, absolutely. So it started last week, I know, because I was able to jump in there. Um, it's on Tuesday nights, right? And is it still yep. open for people to sign up for? Yes, yes okay, it so is. On your Facebook page, and or Ogan Holder, Reverend Ogan Holder. And so you're using the book 
How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yes, by Ibram Kendi. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what gives? What gives? <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those, go and do likewise, right? Go and, um, you know, pick your, pick your lane. Um, you know, what is it you're doing and how can I contribute? What is mine to do? Always the question, what is mine to do? So I, um, I found myself sitting in that, what is, you know, what is mine to do? I, I so very much wanted to be out in Kansas City at protests and I'm just not, I'm given the pandemic, I'm not comfortable even with a mask on. And um, I really struggled. I really struggled with that. So what is mine to do? And I'm like, well, I teach. So let's, you know, help people learn how to be in their lane. And everyone's saying, what what's mine to do? Or what can I do? And um, so here, learn what it means to be an anti-racist. Um, learn what it, even just learn what racism is. Right. right. Learn what white privileges. Um, so we I asked Ogan if he would join me in just doing this book study on how to be how to be an anti-racist. And, um, you know, it's 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 he says Ibram Kendi, the author, is really very clear. Um, he really defines very clearly what a racist is and what an anti-racist is and and that there is no non-racist, that there's no there is no neutrality. There is no space in between. And he works really hard in the book to help people understand that the word being racist isn't about a slur. It's not a it's not a derogatory slur when you say it to someone. It's a, an adjective. It's a word that describes um, someone that is supports racist policy through actions or inactions. Um, so it, it can be, I remember the first time I said out loud to someone that, that I am a racist, they, they were like horrified because mm-hmm. they're thinking I'm like, you know, um, you know, oh my God, you belong to the KKK or you're, I'm like, no, I'm racist because I'm white. I'm not intentionally evil and I'm not, you know, consciously setting out to oppress people and yet I have to look at the places where I support a policy that supports racism. You know, the first time when we got into this pandemic and we started wearing masks and the first time I went out to, this was several months, this was in March, and I went out to the store and I had my mask on. I walked into the store and uh, I saw a, a, a black man in front of me that was had to be six feet tall wearing a mask and I looked at him I thought oh my god he probably is terrified to walk into this place with a mask on mm-hmm. and it never occurred to me like the first time I heard you know putting mask on I'm like well yeah like that makes sense let's all go do that and it literally stopped me in my tracks and I thought oh I don't know like I would literally I, I had to pause not that I could even imagine but try to taking my life in my hands by practicing something safe to keep other people safe from the virus, to keep myself safe from the virus. I might be risking my life because I'm a black man with a mask on walking into a store. Yeah, that's, that's heavy. It it was. Yes. I don't mean to be a downer. I just, um, but that, so recognizing that right Mm -hmm. is just about recognizing, you know, racism, that I never, it didn't occur to me that wearing a mask would be difficult for anyone. Like, yeah, just everybody put a mask on. 
not realizing that that statement alone is showing my white privilege. That's all. Right. Witnessing my whiteness. So, so can talk that's all. <laughs> what? That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it, really hard when you first start doing that. But it is. the more you do it, the less you have this sense of guilt. And you're like, okay, there's that other one. You know, it's part of the deconstructing. Let me pull that nail out of the fence, you know. And then he says an, an anti-racist is someone who supports anti-racist policy through their actions or, you know, or what they're doing. So wanted to do this book study to help people learn to have the difficult conversations mm-hmm. to and to, you know, if I'm going to come back to, you know, Jesus teaching of how do I be compassionate? Um, how do I, you know, how do I go and do likewise? And, you know, it's it's a lifelong journey. It is. And I think those, you know, the, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I think it's an example of going and doing likewise. And it's so critical at this time to have safe space in which to have these conversations, to stumble through them, to try, you know, new words out, new phrases, new labels, and um, and and to learn how to contextualize ourselves in a new paradigm and in a new way of talking about racism like saying I'm a racist because I am yeah. white and it doesn't matter how I vote. I mean, well, it matters because that's how you move towards anti-racism, but right. to be able to start there and, and to unpack the shame around that, because we got to get past, like we got to get over that. And it, because it doesn't matter how bad you feel if, if you don't take action, right. If you don't yeah. do something to, to be as, to show up in a different way and, and to be a different way and to, in order to do that, we need to get really comfortable about, you know, in the conversation. Yes. And, um, which is where that, the, um, you know, that term brave space, yeah. which is, it's not, it's not just safe. It's a brave space, which means, um, we're going to hear different things and people are at different levels of, understanding and and different different degrees of you know uncovering witnessing their own whiteness and and you know witnessing and seeing how i perpetuate you know a system that i didn't create but yeah that music means it's time for our break so we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with reverend kelly isla All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. And we are back. This is Reverend Jackie, and I'm here with Reverend Kelly Isola on Voices of Unity today. And we're talking about pride, power, and privilege. And we're using examples of uh, the parables, taking our master teacher Jesus's stories and folding them into the conversation that we are experiencing today as a society in power and privilege. So, Kelly, shall we pick up the th- some more parables? Yes. Yes, we should. So, um 
the other ones that that certainly um you know there's lots and lots of parables but they are um and there's different kinds of parables and my favorite are the ones that are what are called the challenge parables <laughs> um, and i think hmm, students, your favorite really yeah i know right big surprise um, I know. Uh, I just had class, you know, so I'm teaching this Jesus teachings class and um, the students, you know, we got out of class a little early to do this and they're listening for homework. And um, but I was uh, one of them was commenting about how, you know, <clears throat> now I'm, you know, so we spend first couple classes uh, deconstructing Jesus. And one of the students have commented on, OK, now I just have all these pieces and where do I go with it? And what do I do? And Jesus and pieces. Ugh. Jesus and pieces. Yes. I remember it. it was painful. Yes. And so I just said to her, I go, OK, so you've known me a really long time. You know, I'm a giver. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, but I get it. I, I Jesus and pieces. That's a that sounds like a actually sounds like a name for a band. But um, uh yeah, it's important to to kind of deconstruct. I mean, I um, what I'm committed to is, you know, I think the teachings are exceedingly powerful. There's not, I don't think there's a huge amount to, um, you know, I, I don't think that we have to get real complicated. It's, you know, in terms of what were Jesus' teachings. And, um, you know, the first, one of the big ones was, you know, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and to love your neighbor, right? Which means love your enemies, um, to to not to judge, you know, the compassion thing. And then, um, you know, it, it, the golden rule, which, you know, is do unto others as you would like to have done unto you. I, I do the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would like to have done unto them, because it requires me to be in relationship with you it requires me to know you but he's but the so the other parables um that you know to point to that i think are really powerful for the times we're in and for pride month uh is the the three parables that are about the lost items right mm -hmm. so there's mm -hmm. the lost um the lost sheep right the story of the lost sheep there's, you know, a hundred of them and one of them goes missing and, and the shepherd goes looking for the one. And um, uh, and what's uh, and we can unpack that one. But then there's the story of the the lost son, which is has been called the prodigal son. But but actually, um, uh, Egyptian women call the parable the lost son. Um, you know, the story starts out with there's a father and two sons and one of them, you know, goes off and spends his inheritance and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there's the the other parable, and this is all in Luke, and they're kind of in in one after another is the lost coin. But when you when you take a deep dive into them and you really, again, look at the context and look at who the author is, like through the lens of who the author is and the time that he that that Jesus was living in and what was going on and 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 taking into account Judaism, um, what you wind up seeing is what the invitation is, is am I take am I noticing who counts? Mm -hmm. Meaning who matters, right? Am I am I noticing who counts like like the sheep, right? If you had um, if you were a shepherd and you had five sheep and one of them wandered off, you would absolutely notice in a heartbeat. Wouldn't be hard to miss. But if you had a hundred and one wandered off, what's the likelihood you would notice? 
probably less likely. So there's this invitation into counting, like who counts? And and pausing long enough around me does, you know, is the environment. So let's take, you know, let's say I'm leading a church. Have I, is, is the environment that I have, the ministry that we have, the volunteers, the decorations, the message on Sunday, the music, the everything, does it say that you count, that I've counted everybody? Um, That's a big and, question. Yes. That's a big question. I love it. I just, um, when you were talking, I, I shared on our Facebook post about the show today in the comments, because it's one of my favorite memes that I've seen. Um, the one I posted is from the naked pastor and it's yeah. a drawing of sheep. And then on the left and over to the right is, you know, the Jesus figure. And he's got a sheep around his neck that is the rainbow color. Yeah. And the sheep on the left, the flock is saying, whoa, 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 hold it right there. He wasn't lost. We kicked him out. And right. then Jesus kind of has a, a, a sad, surprised look on his face. And, yeah. you know, so I just, I, I really love the application here of that. And, and that question of like, who, who am I counting and who am I leaving out? Well, here's a quick way you can do it. And again, this is not to guilt or shame, or it's just to, to make what's unconscious conscious. Cause the, 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 the thing about unconscious bias is that, you can what you believe and what you say or what you demonstrate can actually be the opposite of the unconscious bias that you're walking around with because the unconscious bias was you know you were in the womb when it was you know inserted when that record button started right yeah. so but a way to notice to just one simple i don't know if it's simple but one quick way you can actually see Am I counting everyone? It's look at your bookshelf. Look at the authors of the books that are on your bookshelf. How many of them are, uh, is the author black? How many is an author that's a person of color? How many is, uh, is an author um, that's trans? How many, you know, an author that's LGBTQ? How many, you know, and, and the titles, the, the subject matter. Yeah. Um, so who's our, who is it that, you know, is a marginalized or who is it that is the oppressor in, in, in our system and how many books on my shelf, either the author or the content is, you know, giving power to the marginalized, the oppressed voice. That's a great question. And it, it is very quick and telling. Yes, it is. Yeah. I was just, yep. I was on the phone the other day with a minister and asked him to look at his bookshelf and, um, noticed that pretty much everybody was white and um i'm like it's not to guilt it's just to point us to and it doesn't even mean that you need to go out and buy every single book but start to pay attention to who are you counting right right like who are where are you banking and where are you shopping and um you know who are your trusted 10 and 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 mm -hmm. but, um i have to i have to ask myself all the time who am i counting when i'm writing something when I'm, you know, speaking, when I'm, you know, in a class and even like this class, how to be an anti-racist, we, um, um, you know, I have to, as I'm listening to students and, and uh, I have to keep asking myself when I respond is, is, is what I'm saying counting everyone, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be all things to all people, but um, the, the parables are just really powerful. Um, it's a shift. It shifts the focus um, to, uh, um, to what's lost.
Well, and I, I think what you just said there too, you're not trying to be all things to all people, but the awareness that it, it will expand you, right? From yeah. it, it will expand your perspective and and your conversation and ability to, to participate in conversation. Um, it expands who is counted, but also being aware of who am I not counting? It just it goes back to you know contextualizing ourselves and no I I am limited in who I am and and what I am and what my experience is, but I can also do something about that. I can always be in a constant state of expansion and opening and listening and curiosity, and and that's where the power is in that awareness. Yes, absolutely. And if you think about the parable of the. Um, the lost sheep, again, go back to who was listening to Jesus' story, is how many of his listeners would actually know the experience of owning a hundred sheep? Yeah. Not very many. Yeah. Not just owning a hundred sheep, but the proposition of abandoning 99 of them to go find the one. Like that would have been really surreal. So I moved that forward 2,000 years and I kind of, which is now pushing my envelope. Am I willing to, to you know, to surrender to, to you know, I don't know. I can't even imagine, but, um, you know, so anyway. That's great. So we have, we have more lost parables. Yeah, we do. It's all kinds <laughs> of parables. Yeah. The, the, the lost coin. Yeah. Well, it's the same. The, the lost coin is the same, uh, the same idea. Um, is, um, you know, a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one and devotes her time to finding it. Um, and then, you know, calling in all of her friends, and, and these are all found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, calling her friends in to to party with her. Um, and it's, and in both the, the um, actually, the, <laughs> And in all three of the lost, I chuckle because when you think about the lost coin and the lost sheep, there's this party at the end. And, you know, I have this and this is all right. This is a little heretical. But I think about the um, the end in the prodigal son or the lost son. There's a a party at the end. And um, but in the the lost sheep one, they probably, you know, the party that they would have had. and, And after bringing the sheep back was they probably roasted one of the sheep. Oh, I know, I know. That's so terrible. I know, but I did warn you. Uh, (laughs) I love it. Right here on Voices of Unity. I know. (laughs) But the, um, you know, the, the, um, it's this, it's the same idea with the coins. It's just, it's, you know, a woman has 10 and loses one. And, and again, it inviting, inviting the listener into, you know, can I imagine having those and losing one and, you know, spending my time looking for the one. And what is it about the one that's so important? You know, what is it about the one sheep that's so important? And, um, you know, historically, both of those, the lost coin and um, and the lost sheep have been, over the centuries, have been translated and interpreted as it's about forgiveness and repentance. Um, you know, and, and that you find the lost sheep and, you know, repent and bring the sheep back into the herd. But um, I don't, I, that that has never really worked for me. Um, but, um, but when I really dig in and I think about um, having, like, I think back to when I had, 
you know, my own piggy bank and I had coins and I lost one. And, you know, what it, it really what was it, you know, when I lost one and went looking for it, was it really about having the money or was it, you know, what was really going on? And certainly when you're six, it's like, yeah, because then I can get more candy. But even, um, you know, as an adult losing something, you know, paying attention to like the pandemic, right? Like all of a sudden I have quote unquote 10 coins and in 90 minutes, all my work for the year disappears. So no more coins, right? And so forcing me into what am I counting? What matters? I love it. Well, and, you know, those three parables, as you said, they're in Luke, and, and they're, they are a response to a specific comment, right? The Pharisees and scribes saying, this fellow, referring to Jesus, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right. You know, and so I think that, you know, taken, like you said, taken in isolation, each of the stories sort of becomes about that forgiveness, but taken in context to what Jesus is responding to is, is really more of what you're talking about that it's it's about who are we counting and 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 who are we communing with yes and and yeah. and then like the sheep in the meme i posted you know who has been kicked out and yeah. ostracized and who Otherwise. have i kept, and who have, yeah and who have i kept out even unknowingly yeah. um you know if you take a look at the and i would and here's another thing you can do so i did the books on the shelf thing mm-hmm. so here's something else you can do write down the names of 10 people not not family members, but write down the names of 10 people that you trust, you know, for, I would say trust with your life, but, you know, maybe not your life, but trust really, really deeply and write them down and take a look at those 10 people and how much are they like you? Mm. And very likely they're very much like you in terms of age and race and, you know, um, gender identity and sexual expression and ableism and um, spiritual like mindedness um, and all those things, you know, and education and not not suggesting they're all going to be identical, but it gives you a quick picture of who am I not counting, which doesn't mean rush out and get a black best friend. It just (laughs) means notice it and go and do likewise. Like what's mine to do? Yeah, it's a great question to ask. We have a caller. We do. Yes, we do. Louie, do you want to bring Sharon on? Sharon, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Hi, Sharon. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Um, And I just kind of wanted to make a comment. I'm a new spiritual leader and, uh, just two weeks before COVID, and and everything has created a sense of discomfort. And so last Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, my talk was about having our head in the sand and addressing um, who we are and our white privilege. This was a very, very difficult thing for me because I was raised that you don't, you know, you're good. And you don't say no because you're not being good. You don't address conflict. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. This took um, a lot of courage. And I'm, I'm going to put behind that that I've been in several of Kelly's classes lately. And at the right time, and this helped to inspire me. It really did to to put this out there, and I didn't know what would be happening. Like if Monday, I'd still have a job, <laughs> and I wasn't even worried about that. I was worried about, to me, the message, and are we waking up and 
are we hiding under our spirituality? And um, the feedback was a, a lot more positive than I had expected. But it takes a lot of courage because you're going into an area where you're just told not not to address. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but this was a, this was a big a big big deal for me to be uncomfortable enough to make everybody else uncomfortable. Mm, bravo. I just want to say bravo. Good for you. That's, it's so amazing to hear. And I appreciate your authenticity and, and how hard that is. You know, I think, and, and Kelly, you can speak to this too, but, you know, we just have such a church culture of the Sunday best, right? So when people show up in spiritual community, you know, we're, we're, we've got our Sunday best on. So certainly we are not the racist. Certainly we are not, you know, the privileged and unconscious and unaware. So why would you talk to us about that? And so it can be, you know, let alone that that you're really digging deep in into a longstanding cultural rift and and conversation, but to do it on a Sunday is a, a holy and sacred calling. So bravo. Yep, I fully support the alternative, the uh, challenging conventional wisdom. <laughs> well, well thank you and enjoying with the, i'm enjoying this information yes yeah with compassion of course and you know and that's you know that that is a brave space right it can be yeah. if we can if we can get out of that sunday best mindset and we can realize that we we come together you know i think you know to some degree a soul desperation of deep connection and and spiritually speaking, of course, and socially speaking, and of course, right now we aren't, you know, most at least most churches are not coming together physically, but but still, you know, employing that um, spiritual connection and and how can we responsibly fold these conversations into that experience, into that Sunday experience? It is, you know, that is the leading edge of healing, I believe, and and we just have to do it. And yeah, it's scary. Well, especially when you have, um, if you have people that have been coming to a, a spiritual community for a long time and see, you know, the the issues of, you know, human rights issues or, you know, what we're being challenged with, um, you know, in our communities in terms of racism and LGBTQ and, um, uh, you know, ec economics and, 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 and. Um, and when you have people in a spiritual community who want to, you know, when can we stop talking about that stuff and get back to talking about principle? Mm -hmm. Or can we get back to talking about unity? Um, it gets it gets challenging. Because I don't know how to separate them. Sharon, can I can I ask you if you would be willing to share with us what what one thing do you think you did really well during that experience? <laughs> um that I that I followed through with it and we posted it. <laughs> <laughs> and posted it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that we, we that I followed through. Um, my husband uh, does the videos and he says, you know, now this one wasn't really uplifting. Do you want to do it? And I says, well, let me listen to it because I didn't know if it was a Debbie Downer or something. I says, oh no, it's getting the message across. I, I'm 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 happy with it. I think it was it was really really addressing a situation that needed to be addressed because we like to just pretend that um, well 
if everything's good on my end and I'm holding affirmations and I'm living rightly, that's all that needs to happen. You know, I'm 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 spiritual, and it, it it's really addressing and it, it's it's making us aware. But I but how I handled it was also because I am a new spiritual leader, and I'm like, do you do you discriminate? But with people who you feel like you know more than they do do you have you had any discrimination against having new leadership have you i addressed it in a lot of ways because i think that if we discriminate in one way we're going to easily discriminate in another way Plus building awareness yeah building that awareness beautiful thank you so much for calling in and thank you thank for taking you. that brave uh, that brave thank action you, thank you Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I just am really celebrating um, how much I am seeing so many people really just dive in, dig in, settle into, you know, this, to, into a new way, in a deeper way, and and publicly. Yeah. Well, that's the, um, uh, according to, you know, one of my favorite Jesus scholars is, you know, the, the, the lost son parable is um you know this is about this father that has two sons and loses one and if you lose one then the family's not whole mm. um and there has to be reconciliation not from a place of forgiveness or repentance but because of wholeness um you know un and unless i'm willing to make that move toward reconciliation, toward, you know, reparation, toward restitution, then there will be no wholeness. And if there's no wholeness, there's no family, there's no peace, there's no, there's no wholeness. So I have to be the one to, um, I believe, you know, taking the model of the, the prodigal son, the lost son is, I have to be, you know, from the, the generosity of spirit say you're welcome welcome home you're part of the family and and let me show you what that means not just say it yeah that's beautiful that's really beautiful i have like so many questions just pouring out right now and i know we are at the nearing the end of our time so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna open any can of worms but i just Oh. I'm so grateful that I know, I know. I'm just grateful that we can have this conversation and that we can, you know, I'm a Bible nerd. I love really being able to use scripture in applicable ways, relevant ways to to our walk. And it's it is so easy to do. And so thank you for being a voice for that and bringing it forward to, you know, our conversation today on race relations, on pride, and on really finding our way into wholeness as a society. Yeah. It's, it takes this is, this uh, every, is powerful. every person. Yeah. And, and it takes every person and, and every person has to find their, their next right action um, because every action counts. It does. And, and Jesus used his, you know, so when he talked about him using his privilege, you know, he had a, a platform and he had the ears of, yes you know, the scholars of the time and, you know, the the lawmakers, if you will, which you know, there was only one law, spiritual law in, in his context. And and he used that power and privilege to to call everyone up into a higher way of being. 
Well, and he used it not, and he used it not from the sense of here, what is, you know, so he's learned all of his, you know, Torah and, and he knows, you know, Hebrew scripture and the stories and everything. So he uses it not to keep the same thing going, but what does it mean in today's world? Because the scripture he would have been using would have been written a thousand years before he was actually walking on earth. So he's bringing it forward, which is the same thing that we have to do. What does it mean today in this context? Um, you know, um, how does it apply? I mean, there's a reason. It's not because he had a good press agent. There's a reason <laughs> his teachings are still here. Yeah, the, I mean, if you read about the disciples, they were not good press agents. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. <laughs> there, I think they were more like, I'm sorry, you want me to do what? Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's so amazing. So good, such good stuff, good stuff. Um, so did you say, is your class still open or is it closed? The class that uh, you and Ogan are doing. No, it's still open. It's, it's still, still open. open. Yep. Um, and so it, people can find you on Facebook or Ogan. It, yes, and it is a it's a Facebook event. How to be how to be That's an right. anti racist uh, book and discussion group. If they're on Facebook, um, you know you can just Google that and find the event. In the description of the event is the link to register because you have to register in order to get the the zoom room link and it was super easy i even did it you know my daughter has an activity on tuesday evenings and right now there are so few activities i I wanted to make sure she got to it and so i did it and it was super easy to register for and get to so i'll post a link to it in the comments of this uh, post for the show today that's our music saying we are out of time thank you so much kelly for bringing your light your love and your wisdom to this conversation and for being for being the one and only kelly isla in the world (laughs) until next week Tune in and tune up in spirit. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tollison. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.